Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. This is Molecules and Shit, and this is a science podcast. I am your co-host, P-Funk, at P-Funkin' Around on Twitter, and I'm joined by your host, Cookie Negra. Doctor? Sir? All right, so we're actually starting for real this time. Yes, we've had technical difficulties. Yeah, just, just minor technical difficulties. Luckily, we didn't waste too much time. But uh, yeah, we were talking about how uh, everyone is just basking in your glow on Metro. Yeah, as usual. But uh, <laughs> that's all right. I'll have a better story once we introduce our guest. Oh, okay. So we do have a guest today. Um, we are joined by Jocelyn. Jocelyn, how are you doing? Hello. And her dog. And her dog. <laughs> Special guest, bonus. Sorry, she's been quiet this entire time, and now all of a sudden she has to look out the window and see something. Oh, don't feel, don't feel guilty because Koki's cat has been on the show multiple times in spirit. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how is your spring going? It's going well. It's going well. Um, I too have crazies, but only in New York that I'm on the train that I have to deal with. So Okay, but I know that's a lie right now. I'm gonna tell the story that I know as we get to it. Wait, 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 wait. So are you are you based in New York? Yes, I am. Okay, whereabouts? In Brooklyn, Manhattan, where where you at? Um, I live in uh Queens. Oof. Um but I uh, but I am in hiatus for the weekend in, in D C so oh. You're down there. Oh you're in yes. D C So wait, where are you staying? Are you staying with relatives? Yeah, they're with my dad. Ah. We're in Southern Maryland. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Cool, cool. So you're like, you're like me. So you're a transplant. You were a transplant in New York. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm only an eight-month transplant. So we'll see whether it sticks or not. How did you <laughs> enjoy your time in Queens? Um, It's been interesting just, um, you know, transitioning from being mostly in the DMV mm-hmm. and then going to New York and just living in the city and just the whole different way of life for me because i'm a suburban girl exactly and so (laughs) do you have to uh take the train in every day the 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 subway yes all right how many how many hobos have you encountered so far in your travels do not Um, call them hobos (laughs) i I think that's the official new york Um, term directly or indirectly or total sum of them all witnessed personally witnessed personally i'm going with Personal interactions, probably about three. Okay, all right. So That's... far, but they're, they're numerous. Okay. But the ones that I've, you know, had to nicely find my way away from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that to me personally. Yeah, <laughs> I, about... I had many encounters in my year and a half plus there. And yeah, a lot of it involved nudity, so. Yeah, oh, <laughs> oh, thank it... God I have not had that part. It oh, just a it... lot of yelling. You got out just in time, because it was coming. <laughs> I guarantee you, no, when, no. when it started getting warmer outside, yeah, it was it was coming. Oh joy, looking forward. Mm-hmm. But, okay, lest we think that Jocelyn is just a freak magnet, she actually has some scientific uh, expertise that we should probably talk about. There you go. A little bit. So, so yeah, what what type of work are you doing now? And uh, tell people a little bit about your your background. Okay, um, so currently I'm a clinical microbiology fellow mm-hmm. in New York. Um, my background is very twisted, uh, or I like to say I've taken the scenic route. So when I got, I did undergrad in North Carolina, and I did just a general biology thinking that I was going to go to med school. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that, I was like, "Mm, maybe not. 
Um, so... Whoa, wait, wait, wait. I feel like we skipped some steps there. What, what, what happened with that? Uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, you realize your temperament and what you can and can not deal with. And I figured out pretty early that I probably should not be dealing with sick people and their family. Um, and so I ended up teaching just by happenstance, a friend of my father's, um, was a principal and he had been hounding me about coming to teach his science classes. Um, but, um, by the time I did relent, he was like, I already gave the job away, but you can go down the street to this middle school. They're looking for a math and science teacher. Um, and so I went there and got the job and I ended up teaching for five years in um, PG County Public Schools, um, which was another life-changing situation. Um, That pretty much just kind of molded me into person that I am kind of now because it took a lot of, I talk about crazies on the the Metro, but Mm -hmm. dealing with parents and their kids is a totally different situation. Wow. yeah, so yeah, it kind of it kind of gave it gave me a backbone. I had to find that real real quick. So were and, you dealing um, with um like helicopter parents, or were you dealing with parents who just wanted you know A's for their kids or problem kids? Like what, what what kind of challenges were you looking at? Um, it was a little of all of that. Um, but it was mostly um parents that either were not involved in their child's education until it became a problem and then it was why, you know, it became mostly my fault mm. of not being in, in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was problem. It was most, for the most part, it was the problem kids for whatever reason. Um, and I've had the gamut of parents, you know, wanting to fight me wow. uh, <laughs> because apparently I didn't let their child go to the bathroom but their child always got missing at some point. So mm. yeah, that privilege kind of got taken away. But, um, and then parents that wanted to fight their kids in my in my classroom. Um, so it was, I mean, and then I did have the the over, you know, helicopter parents. Um, so it was, it was the range of the gamut um, for the five years. And, um, but through, it wasn't all bad. Like through that, I really, developed a um like my love for science kind of came back Hmm. um and i realized that when i was an undergrad when i said i didn't want to be a lab rat um i realized well maybe i do want to be a lab rat because you know teaching kids doing science experiments and just the process kind of sparked that back into me um and so then i decided i needed to get back into science but of course i don't have the experience Mm-hmm. So the one way I did get the experience was um, uh, beca- getting into a med tech program um, at a hospital in D.C. And so I trained there for a year and then I stayed on as an employee. And then um, so through that, I you know, got into microbiology, which I really love and decided that I wanted to keep going. So I started a master's degree program and met a lovely co-host. Mm-hmm. And um, was she your teacher, yeah, or so co- was she your teacher or colleague? Yes. Oh, both. Uh, okay. I was. I was the graduate program director. I think by the time she came along. Yes, you are. You're right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And 
you really should not have favorite students. However, <laughs> there's a reason why Jocelyn and I bonded because oh, she geez. is also a freak magnet. <laughs> and so we would swap stories from time to time about what crazy thing had happened to us that week. Jesus. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, it's probably best that you guys aren't in the same zip code because I feel like you would just you know, magnify. Yeah, we, we it's like crossing the swords. Yeah. <laughs> crossing the streams, I think. It, yes, crossing it, yes, crossing swords is something else entirely. Um <laughs> crossing streams is is a Ghostbusters reference, yes. Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> but yeah, so but yeah, you mean, mentioned we, Oh, go go ahead. We we both have some yeah. Baltimore stories that are just amazing. Oh yeah. Baltimore stories. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Okay. That's worse than D C Metro. <laughs> it's not? No, it is not. I really? have never seen anybody's naked ass in Baltimore, but it happens to me in D.C. very often. Wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me that they are calmer and more chill on the Baltimore public transportation than in D.C.? Um, It's just different. Oh, okay. It's just different. So you'll, you'll have just more like maybe what rowdiness in Baltimore and then in D.C. it'll just be calm skeeviness. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Um. But at least I'm not a homewrecker, and we know that. Oh, oh what? what? <laughs> Put you on Front Street. Damn. That's a good story, though. You have to tell that story. Hold oh. up. Hold up. You, you really just threw uh, her business out in the street on the stoop. Uh, this was, uh, yeah, so yeah, I was living in Silver Spring, mm -hmm. and um, there was a lady that lived on the other side of my building. She would stand outside periodically and just be yelling at random people or that were not there. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> and so one morning I'm coming out to my car and she's saying something. I can't quite hear because she's kind of talking really low, but she's looking at me. So I'm like, oh, maybe she's, she's asking me something or something. So I'm like, excuse me. And she was like, you need to stay away from my man. Oh, I'm supposed well. to you trying to talk to my man. And I was like, I uh, don't know who your man is, but okay. And she continues to talk about this man. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, she's clearly something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So I just get my car and leave. Um, the next morning, she's outside again, yelling at the building. There's no one outside. And again, she's walking towards me talking about this man that I've stolen from her, that I am like having an affair with. And so I asked one of my, uh, there's a neighbor um, that is also on my side of the building. And I was like asking, I was like, have you ever seen a lady out here? And she was like, yeah, she's kind of not right. Mm -hmm. You know, she, um, I don't know how she's lived. She can live here, but something is clearly not right with her. And, um, so, yeah, she was like, yeah, something's wrong. So I was like, okay, so it's not just me. Mm -hmm. So I think one day there was an actual man sitting outside. Was his name Harvey? <laughs> uh -uh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> um, and he was sitting, like, on the hood of a car. And I, I was walking my dog. That's when I usually encountered her, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I walked past, and he says hello, and I said hello. And then she's just like, don't be talking to my man and something like that. Well, no, that wasn't even her man at the time. He didn't even know this lady. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Were there multiple men? 
No. Well, I don't know. In her head, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but this man never existed because I asked someone else uh -huh. if she was married or something. But she keeps talking to me about this man that I was stealing from her. And apparently she does this to every woman that was in the building. Oh, that's just her greeting for fellow women. Don't be talking yeah, to my I man. Guess. Got but it. She never, but she was not married. She lived by herself in her little crazy world. But every time she saw me, I apparently was stealing her man. So wow. that was the, the gist of that story. I mean, if you were feeling a bit more, you know, boss about it you could have just leaned into it it's like i sure did he was over last <laughs> night see what she do <laughs> that, that type of crazy i did not want to invoke you know that's true she does know where I, she lives she knows where you live yeah yeah that's exactly. the problem she knows where exactly she <laughs> exactly and she's not afraid to approach so we already got a problem mm. so. so as you can imagine this would win my heart uh, <laughs> being that I always I had a story every week that was yeah. almost equally as bizarre, and then yeah. she would go hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Her, hers were were probably not as frequent, but definitely more intense. Yeah, oh, sure. well. But uh, anyway, so that's when Jocelyn was a graduate student with us, and yeah. then she left and did what. Uh, I left and went to Alabama for my for a PhD. Wow. Uh, How yeah. was that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I will plug that UAB. I loved UAB. I love the school. Mm. I love my experience there. Alabama. Eh, mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. Once you leave campus, all bets are off. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of really how I felt about St. Louis. I was just like, I really dig this school. I like the people on the campus. And they're like, what do you think about the city? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I did feel at times I did go back in time. Um, you know, you know, you do innocent things that you think are going to be fun, you know, like going peach picking. Um, and then you go to the little farmer's market that's there. And then all of a sudden you hear horns and cars and people yelling and it's a little makeshift confederate parade um so let me get so, this let me get this straight you went to alabama and made it a point to go on a day trip to a plantation and it to was pick not peaches. a plantation it was peaches <laughs> it was i did not i'm sorry an orchard an orchard an orchard there you go <laughs> thinking that was innocent because i've gone apple picking you know in virginia mm -hmm. and that was fun but never did i encounter a real live you know makeshift confederate parade of a bunch of cars and uh motorcycles waving flags and yelling and at the time i was with one of my other friends who is latina and i and one other friend who is caucasian and i was like i think two of us need to get out of here mm -hmm. if anything like mm -hmm. we need to leave right now and i'm sure the other friend was offended it's like but, but i'm not racist <laughs> <laughs> She was a little taken aback as well, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. you know, by the whole situation. But yeah, um, there's a lot of things there that I was just like, I don't think it's someplace I want to put up, put down roots. Well, isn't it, I think I was. It's funny. I, isn't Alabama and Mississippi aren't those majority black states, or am I wrong about that? Um, or is it just the major cities? I want to say it's major cities. Okay. Um, 
I don't know the actual statistics, but I do know like the major cities like Birmingham and um, Montgomery are predominantly black, but it's the other areas that not so much like the rural, I think rural areas. And that's another thing, like in this day and age, I didn't think there was like people that live like that rural, like, no mm. running water type of situation. What? Like, really? Yeah. We're in the Delta for real, weren't yeah. you? And places where I was like literally told when I got there, do not go here because that's there's a heavy KKK presence there. You, If you do have to go there, um, you should be there during the day and you should not, you should make it quick and get out. Whatever reason you are there, mm. it should not be in that area. Isn't so, that, you know, that, coming in, that's kind of scary. That's kind of like, really? Like, this is where we are at this day and age? But I know. In 2019, they're yeah. still telling you places you cannot go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, on, on a lighter topic, you mentioned, you know, you left teaching to go back into the lab. What was it about the lab that you, that you missed or that drew you to it? Um, I think it was just the the technical part of it. I missed doing, you know doing the, the, the experiments when I, when I did do them in undergrad, because I kind of ran from that in undergrad. <laughs> but I think teaching kind of um, reinforced, like, this is actually fun. Like, I should be doing this. Like, I don't have to encounter, I don't necessarily have to be with, I don't want to say with, this sounds bad, but around people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound uh, bad to us. Nope. <laughs> you are in. The, you are among but, friends and peers. An interaction was, you know, being with people. I like doing the experiments. I should say the technical stuff, and doing something, getting results, and being able to, you know, do something with it. Um. So, yeah, when I was teaching the kids, like how to use a microscope and things like that, and then things that. So when I was an undergrad, I was kind of. I kind of ran from it because it was like, I didn't have anybody, I didn't have any like mentoring in science. So Mm. I always thought that when I came in, I had to start from scratch, come up with my own, you know, problem that I wanted to solve. And starting out, that's kind of daunting. It's like that every year you got to come up with a science fair project. And that was always anxiety for me. Yeah. And, um, but as I was teaching, And having to teach kids and show them how to do things and actually working with kids about that they had to do science fair project, it opened my eyes. I was like, this is not really, it's not that daunting. It's not that hard to do if you have a nap, just go with your natural curiosity and things that you like. Um, And so that kind of sparked that into me again when I was teaching. So, um, so yeah, so then I was just like, well, let me see what jobs are out there that I can do that can kind of feed that, that energy for me. Would you say you've always been a scientist or always drawn to science? Yes. Always. That that was always my favorite subject. Um, And it was, I think it's the, the hands-on aspect of it. Just that's my, my natural inclination. I like to work with things and um, you know, all the other classes, it was just, read this, memorize that. Whereas, you know, science, you have to be, you have to actually do it. You have to actually come up with a, a, a pro, some type of product or, or, you know, 
pan tactile type of thing. I guess that's if you could say, go back to my pedagogy and, you know, that learning style, you know, having to touch it, feel it mm. type mm. of thing. Oh, wow. So uh, tell us about what's the, the fellowship that you're a part of right now? What's that entail? So that is another switch going from straight basic science to now I'm on the clinical side. Um, and so I'm in a clinical lab. Like I had the background for being a med tech, um, but now I'm in a fellowship that's actually training me to be a clinical lab director in microbiology. Oh, okay. um, and so, yeah, so it's like I have the, the basic science knowledge and how the lab works and things like that, but this fellowship is concentrating on learning the clinical side of things and learning how doctors talk and how they process things and how they use the information and the, the results that we give in the lab to treat their patients or how they make decisions and so forth. And I'm kind of learning how to be kind of a liaison between the um, physicians and the lab. So a lot of times they'll call for consults about interpreting results or if they have a certain, you know, disease or, or some type of manifestation that they have in mind for a patient that is, that they're presenting with, but they don't know how to go about actually testing and what kind of the right kind of testing, the right kind of um, sample they should draw mm. to test for those things. And so, um, yeah, so the fellowship is kind of, is learning. It's like, kind of like me going through like a speed, speed read through, uh, me medical school oh, okay. um, at the same time, you know, still honing some of my microbiology and trying to connect the dots basically between the, between the lab and the actual clinical outcome. So, so the end goal of this fellowship is it for you to direct your own lab in the near future? Yes. Yes. Oh, so it's a two year, it's a two year fellowship. Um, I'm in like month nine now. So by the end of it, the goal is to be prepared to be your lab director. I have to sit for a board exam because if you're a PhD, you have to ha be board certified mm -hmm. um, in order. Well, I was, well, you don't either have to have the experience long enough to be a director or you can come in as a PhD and sit for a board exam. And then you're kind of almost um, on the same level as a, as an MD directing. Okay. And then would you just be looking and applying for directorships across the, the country or do you have like a region in mind you want to stay at or? Um, yeah, I'm right now. I really don't have specific ties to any place. So I'm, I'm free to go wherever I'm think, looking. Um, I'm still trying to feel out exactly where I want to end up. I'm, I'm, exploring like if I want to be in the public health realm like in a public health lab mm -hmm. um, whether versus whether I want to stay like in a hospital setting like where I am now or um, there's also industry um, opportunities so I'm right now I'm in the feeling it out kind of stage mm -hmm. um, so I got a couple of conferences coming up that I'm be able to in both areas in public health and and clinical uh, microbes to kind of feel out exactly where I fit in um, so I'm still still exploring. So among those those three types of labs, the public health, the industry, and uh, hospitals, is there one you're leaning towards, or what what are some of the major distinctions that you know you'd want to look at before you decide which where you want to land? Um, so between like a hospital and public health, 
the things I'm considering is kind of like the types of work that I would be doing. So a hospital is, again, is going to be more of the clinical treatment um, patients and so forth. Um, public health, I think, is more broader um, than what I would be doing in a hospital um, because a lot of times when the, a lot of the testing that they do is more specialized um, mm. or more high complexity that you wouldn't normally do um, in, a, in a hospital setting. Mm. Um, and then you also are looking at like, how does these results or how these, um, the things that you're finding affect the, the whole population. So it's kind of a difference, more like epidemiology involved uh, in that okay. and okay. Um, so forth. So I think I've, my idea is that they, they, um, they can do a little bit more um, than what you would normally do in a normal hospital. Um, so that's kind of a, a drawing uh, drawing a positive that's that's kind of got me leaning towards that. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't have very much experience in it. And so as part of my fellowship, I do do um, a um, rotation at a, I'm doing a rotation at the city uh, department of health. Um, but that that's kind of going to be my deciding factor, I think. Once I get there and see exactly what all it entails, I'll, I'll probably know a little bit more. Okay. So an industry lab is off the table. Uh, I wouldn't say off the table. It's kind of like the same thing with the public health. I don't have enough experience to really make a decision on that. Mm. So I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking like, when I go to these conferences and things, I can make some context to kind of just feel it out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. And then another thing industry is to me is when I think of industry, I think instability, like uh, a lot of, you know, question of whether this job will be here in five years. Like it, it changes a lot. So that's one of the things that kind of, kind of, kind of scare me off a little bit. I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. Any advice, Koki? Uh, for me, at this point in my life, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like between those three types of lab work, you know, if would you, would you, which one would you be leaning towards if you were looking to get back into the lab? Um, I would go public health, but that's just me. Yeah, that's because I've been in a clinical lab. Um, I don't even like the industrial nature of the job I have now, and it's soul-sucking and, and also not stable, so no. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think the PhD part of me is is also what's leaning towards the public health. Like, I feel like I can explore more with public health, um, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Would you go back to Alabama if their director spot opened up? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> That they would She'd have be hungry. Help. She'd be I, hungry instead. Oh, <laughs> I. Oh, they would. It would have to be like seven figures. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, it, it has to be like the most awesomest thing that I would never get offered ever in life. Um, but then I, I'm at the point in my life where I can't really say never you know, never say never type of situation. True, true. Um, that's not generally where I am focusing my energy, <laughs> um, where I would want to go. But 
can't say that if the offer was was really right, I, it would be a it would be a very hard decision, and I don't think I would pass it up. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> I find it really interesting. No matter what industry or field that you're in, especially if you're black, this country is mm-hmm. huge, but there's really only a few places <laughs> you seriously consider. Yeah. Like overall, like it, it it's kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's something about that Southeast. And my parents are from the South, so I, you know, it's it's been a part of my life, but it's like I've been in in the DMV all of my life. Yeah, which, well, is, I mean, which is technically school. the South, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is. different culturally. It is. Yes, there you go. Like, it's a different, yeah, it's very different. Because here I'm so used to, you know, just the diversity of the area, mm-hmm. you know, right mm-hmm. here in D.C. And so politically, you know, I for the most part, a lot of it is liberal, but you get both. I see both sides here. Yeah. Alabama. I mean, it was just like I felt like every time I turned my TV on, I was trying to be brainwashed. Like yep. it was, you know, it was like that just to the level of just like the commercials and everything else. Like it was just like. You know what? Let me turn this TV off because I get mad just looking at the news on how things are spun and it's not even and, you know, it's just very different. Yeah, especially now, I think we take for granted how much we can kind of curate like right. what we're exposed to in general. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're in a place like that, all of a sudden that work becomes a lot more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, yeah. So we're... <laughs> That's a, I mean, that sounds really interesting. We've never t- spoken to someone who's on the director track. So yeah. best of luck to you, we hope. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm, excited. It, it's been a long, long journey for me to get to this spot. But I finally feel, you know, I find a niche that mm-hmm. I'm ready to, like, put down roots and and have a substantial career in. Yeah, putting down roots. That's I mean, <laughs> Everyone's looking to do that. Just, yeah. just find yeah. some stability. Yeah, yeah. The school has just been moving from one place to another, and you know, I'm ready to to, to start up something that's okay. a little more. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you with us, and we're gonna do what we usually do and go through some of the the science topics that are you know hot and popping in the streets. Okay. As the young folks say, <laughs> or so I am told. <laughs> What they don't say hot and popping no more. Uh, uh, I was told by Spider Man. So I was told by Spider Man that hot and popping was what, what the young folks say. <laughs> but yes, this is a science show and we discuss science news. And uh there were a couple things that I saw that came across uh my timeline. Um human genomics research has a diversity problem. Yeah, no kidding. I feel like it's just a reflection. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a mad lib. You could put any three words in the first part of this story headline has a diversity problem. It'd probably be correct. Yeah, (laughs) everything. Everything. So it says uh, precision medicine promises to tailor the diagnosis and treatment of diseases to your unique genetic makeup. Uh, A doctor may use the presence of certain genetic markers to diagnose a disease or choose one drug for treatment over another. But the studies that link genetic markers with disease focus largely on white European populations and neglect other races and ethnicities, according to an analysis published in the journal Cell on Thursday. So, I mean, I think we've 
kind of stumbled across this before, uh, me and Koki, when we're talking about other uh, breakthroughs and other topics and other uh, journal articles that are cited, you know, places like China will, you know, they'll release something and it's very much based on, you know, kind of a monogamous population in China for what they're studying. Do you think like this is something that, do you think methodology needs to be changed or adjusted to account for things like this or? Um, I'll say that I think this is a two-tiered issue. So if you're going to do genetic studies, what you want is the most homogenous population you can possibly get. Okay. That you does not that. happen in America. Mm. So typically, the genetic studies that get done in America, they're Amish people. They're sometimes Ashkenazi Jews because they've been a closed breeding population, which makes, makes genetics at least a little bit easier to pick through. Mm -hmm. um, they do a lot of these studies in Scandinavia because they have for a long time been um, off the beaten path with not a lot of diversity. Um, but I think, you know, at this point, it's clear that if you're going to do medical genetics, you have to think beyond that paradigm and move on to something else. Like we need, we need to look at other groups. But it is true that if, you know, you're going to try to have one gene, one product, one drug, it's hard to do that in a very mixed population. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But I think also, so say that is the case, you need to find a homogenous population in, in which to do or construct effective studies. You need a homogenous population, but at the same time, are they looking to do any of these studies in largely black populations or securing black participants for these studies? Well, I don't do genetic studies, so I can't tell you that. I can tell you that the kinds of research that was done at the center where I was a postdoc certainly had lots of diversity, but it wasn't a genetic study. Mm. Um, and then also you have to deal with the sociological issues with that white man comes for you with a needle and says, I'm going to do some genetic studies on you. How do you think that works? Oh yeah. We talked about yeah. that during, we Henry talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's that historical, you know, aspect of it, being able to recruit people to do something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in, we're in this age of, you know, privacy and people having your information and what exactly are you going to do with that? Um, information also plays a role in that in people not probably participating if you come at them like that. Yeah. Mm. So it said that this analysis reports that 78% of all individuals included in genomic studies of disease up to 2018 were of European descent, 10% Asian, 2% African, 1% Hispanic, and less than 1% for all other groups. That so, sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So does that mean that any of the results that they're going to, you know, glean from these studies are not going to be or just as applicable to African-American or Hispanic populations? Well, you can't you can't always tell. Mm. So we know that there are some um, uh, hypertension drugs that simply don't work in black populations, at least in the United States. They just don't work. And that's because what they geared them towards was some marker that we just don't carry very often. Oh. So, uh, you know, and there are other plenty of other drugs that seem to work just fine. And you don't know until you know. 
Um, but honestly, you know, most of what we know about breast cancer comes from Ashkenazi Jews. And if you don't have that background, how how well will the treatments work on you? Mm. Yeah, it said they uh, give an example of one of these studies. They said ignoring genomic diversity can mean missing out on information that could benefit all. For example, the authors of the study point to PCSK9 a gene important for regulating cholesterol. Studying mutations that occurred in West African populations provided extra insight into the underlying biology and led to a new class of drugs that benefit people of all races. So I guess part of their argument is that not studying these uh, less represented populations mean we're missing out on insights. But that's the argument for diversity everywhere. You <laughs> always miss something when yeah. you exclude people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it does sound like a catch-22 because, like you said, you have to exclude diversity in order to ensure you're getting the best out of your – the most out of your study. But as far as insights that you're going to glean, you need, you know, broader diversity. So it's kind of a catch-22. Well, I think you just have to take certain things into account. Like I think the, the argument is that people didn't even necessarily recognize that this could be an issue. Right. So like mm -hmm. when you talk about feminism, what you really mean is what do middle class white women want? Mm -hmm. Because feminism for the rest of us is not the same thing. It's the same thing with these studies. OK, we've got this population and we can target this drug to that. Well, what about the rest of them? Oh, well, I think you're being divisive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. we're, we're all the same deep down. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, and I think it does get into how people recognize race because it is very clear that. You know, our genetics are not exactly the same, but that doesn't mean we're different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have red hair versus black hair, I don't think one of those is superior to the other. But if you start talking about, you know, how genes are distributed in a population group, somebody is going to start doing some racist nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, what's what's the solution then? I mean, you said just taking these uh, issues into account, but in terms of constructing a study, Let's say I want to do a genomic study to figure out if I can find some genes that will help in, I don't know, eyesight, or I want to pre prevent certain, you know, strains of glaucoma or whatever. I mean, how do you how do you go about constructing a population where you can study them and you're not excluding or you're including just the right number of people or just the right amount of diversity? Well, if I were setting up a study like that, I would look for people who develop family groups that develop glaucoma early mm. and a population of people who never develop glaucoma. Right. Mm, and then you look at race. the difference between those people. And, you know, I mean, I know nothing about glaucoma. I don't mm. even know if that's possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's the kind of thing that you would start thinking about um, right away. I mean, there are there are studies now I know that they do with the with the Amish based on certain kinds of diseases that they develop that no one else develops. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is, uh, again, they're a closed breeding group. So things tend to show up when when you don't go outside your family tree very often. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's nearly impossible to take everything into consideration all the time. But I think, you know, in the last few years, people have been noticing, hey, maybe we should think about some of this stuff. And I don't know that it's necessarily always medicine. I mean, we've we've heard stories of uh, some of some of the um, automatic like hand 
the the faucets that turn on they can't see you if your skin yep. is too dark and they don't turn like that's the kind of big chunks of information we're missing everywhere by not including diversity yeah but i feel like that is a more um industry culture problem that tech uh, side of it because i i don't know if we covered one of those stories uh, on the show or not but they've been popping up like i remember when um the xbox came out with the i forget what the name of that device was because they already discontinued it but it would it had a camera on it and it would look at you know you in the room and it would include your movements and uh, facial expressions and things in the game but it was not able to read black people people were realizing it's like hey the software it does not detect my movements or my facial expressions because apparently I'm too dark. Mm-hmm. And that's a cultural thing because when they're testing it, they're tested on much smaller scales, I think. And it's usually um, more incestuous, you know, friends of friends. and. But that's exactly uh, what I'm saying yeah. about this study that, you know, basically a bunch of white guys, some white women, they talk to other white guys and some mm. white women, and then they come up with these studies because mm. they are missing the entire rest of the story. Oh, so right. you're saying it's at, it's at inception. It's just the yeah. same way. Okay. It's the same problem no matter what what you're you're dealing with. It's always the fact that no one else is included in the room. Right. Mm. So you're saying it's at the inception of the study where they need to like be thinking about these issues. At sure. the very start, okay. And who's in the room when they do construct those studies? Yes, mm. yeah. Who's on the who's who's helping to come up with you know the actual study? And are you are these people actually? Um, does your cohort, the people that are are looking at the study, reflect the same people that you plan to study? You right, know, right, it's, right. it's you have to to make sure you cover all your bases because you know if I'm you know. Going, I don't know, doing an example of like if I'm want to go to the mall and I'm gonna shop, I'm shop, I'm thinking of what I like. You know, I'm not gonna think if I'm gonna shop for all three of us, mm-hmm. I'm gonna think about what I like and mm. what appeals to me instead of, you know, it's all on my opinion. Whereas I say, you know, ask you all what types of things you like and then take all that information and then go to the mall and figure out what we're all gonna wear. You right. know, I don't know if that's the best example, but no, I get it. Like, that, that does make sense. Like if yeah, you're making so, the list by yourself versus whether you include people in the list making process. And right. the other thing that I think you can't say enough about is as a graduate student, you are extremely colored by what your advisor thinks and does. Mm. Right. So it's much different than, you know, you go to this class, that class, the next class, you learn from all of those professors. When you're at the bench, you learn from your PI. And so, like, I, I, I find it really interesting that I have several lab mates that we were all in graduate school at the same time. We all teach exactly like our PI taught because that's what we learned. Hmm. And so, you know, I used to have a, she was a year ahead of me and she would come in and teach the Enterobacteriaceae class. Um, and she sounded exactly like me because we were trained at the same place. Um, I did a postdoc somewhere where the, the, all of the people who were hired were hired out of the same lab. They all approached their studies exactly the same way. They used a transposon for everything and it was the same transposon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's that. And, and of course, if you reproduce yourself all over the country, you yeah. have 10 different labs that mm-hmm. all think the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Wow, it really is incestuous. It is. Hmm. So it's like a problem with no solution, really. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. I mean, there's always a solution. It's just that you have to know to think about that. Yeah. You mm. know, like if you know how to cook, you know to go to the pantry and get everything you need. If you don't know how to cook, you pull out the recipe and then you have to go looking for everything else. And if the person doesn't write you a really good recipe, you skip stuff. Oh, okay. Hmm, I get that. Yeah. You would. <laughs> what? 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 I can't get the not knowing how to cook? That's not a, that's not a shared experience by a lot of people? Uh... <laughs> Mm-hmm. I tried. I tried as hard as I could with you. I tried. Mm-hmm. I still managed to make chicken. I did it successfully. Yes, I used. Yeah, that to, was my mother. Yes, that I used the crock pot, but it don't matter. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, in terms of racial diversity in technology, um, I saw this other story, which is kind of slash scary slash uh, informative. Um, millions of online photos are being scraped without consent. People's faces are being used without their permission in order to power technology that could eventually be used to surveil them. Yeah, welcome to 2019. Yeah, I'm like, this is... Yeah, so... Go ahead. It's To me, it's like, this is pretty much confirming what people already were thinking. You know, as we get more uh, advanced in technology and so forth, it's like that whole... You know, what are you going to do with my information and this whole using the cloud and is my stuff uh, secure? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, reading that, it was kind of like, I mean, I knew, you know, that's why the same thing with people like, you know, how the people uh, put the tape over their 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 video um, camera yeah. on their. Uh, I know I do. I know I it's do. It's like, you know, this is only like confirming like that this stuff goes on. Yeah. And that, you know, you and that we have on on a certain level you have no control over that. Yeah, um, and, and this is beyond just like you know, collection for nefarious purposes. This is being used for like legal purposes. Yeah. So let me, let me read a little bit of it. So okay, so facial recognition can log you into your phone, track criminals through crowds and identify loyal customers in stores. Uh, the technology, which is imperfect but improving rapidly, is based on algorithms that learn how to recognize human faces and the hundreds of ways in which they each one is unique. To do this well, the algorithms must be fed hundreds of thousands of images of a diverse array of faces. Increasingly, those photos are coming from the Internet, where they're swept up by the millions without the knowledge of the people who posted them, categorized by age, gender, skin tone, and dozens of other metrics, and shared with researchers at universities and companies. Uh, as the algorithms are, get more advanced, meaning they're better able to identify women and people of color, uh, a task they have historically struggled with, true, legal experts and civil rights advocates are sounding the alarm on researchers' use of photos of ordinary people. These people's faces are being used without their consent in order to power technology that could eventually be used to surveil them. So, for me, I think there does need to be a distinction between someone using a photo of you and building something off of that photo versus someone collecting photos in aggregate in order to build something i think there's a there's some distinction there see i don't see the distinction maybe try to explain that to me so 
there i remember the the best analogy is when they had the whole um controversy about the cia or the nsa um surveilling americans so they said they're recording our phone calls they're listening to our phone calls you know they're tracking our phone calls and i'm not sure how true it was but the counter argument had a little had something to it so the nsa was like look we're not listening to your phone calls we collect all the phone calls we run it through software to look for key terms or for key relationships and then it allows us to access those particular phone calls so there's not a huge warehouse of people just listening to everything you say if you trigger certain you know things that we've determined now you know you can question what determines what but if you key, if you trigger certain things, then we are able to pull and retrieve those particular conversations. I think that's different than saying someone is listening to my phone calls. You know what I mean? It, do you think it's a distinction without a difference? I just think it is um, listening or taking your photos without consent. Hmm. You know, so it's, it's one thing part. if I consent to Facebook having the picture of me and my grandson and that's very different than them taking those pictures and using them for law enforcement. That's different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, and there's an element of something that where you can control what they get versus I'm uploading stuff to a cloud and now not thinking that you're, you can be able to see that and you're just picking and choosing what you want to take out. Um, and that may not be something that I want out there. Um, this also reminds me of what we're doing now. Um, so in the lab, the we have working with the company um, to do this automation in the lab. And part of the automation, they want to use like um, machine learning to kind of help take pictures of each of the auger plates that the bacteria are growing on mm-hmm. and um, develop an algorithm to be able to... Um, screen out or weed out all the plates that have nothing growing on them, no bacteria, so that when we um, have this automated system, we can easily screen through all the cultures at one time and it'll automatically um, segregate all the negative cultures Mm -hmm. where you can just hit one button and then all those negative cultures will get discarded. Um, In order for them to do that, they had to get our permission to... um, Look at the look at those pictures that are pictures that are in our database to build this algorithm. Mm. And so mm. that kind of this story kind of triggered my mind to think about because that's something we're going through right now. And the fact that um, we're allowing them, we know specifically what pictures and what they're looking at. And we kind of have some control over what, you know, how much access they have. Whereas with this. You know, you're just picking and choosing out of my pile without me knowing what you're doing with this information and how you're using this information. Um, I think there's just general a level of uh, that I don't I have any control over um, and that I don't know what you're doing with it. Whereas mm-hmm. if, you know, if I know, if you say, hey, I need this, I need a picture to do something with, then I can I can make a a, a decision on whether I want to participate in that or, um, and what I actually give you, you know, mm-hmm. I may give you the better picture that I look, you know, a lot better than, than the one I just woke up and someone snapped the picture. So, so I, I think, I think for me, why it's, why it's different. Like I still would have a lot of questions about 
who owns the pictures once they've mm-hmm. been used or yeah. how yeah. often they're yeah. used or do, are you doing this for profit reasons? I have all those questions that yeah. I, I think would, you know, make this, you know, a bad idea or, or, or a fine idea. But I do think it's a little bit different when it's like if someone got a collected a bag of like a basket or a bag of photos and there's no names attached to them and they're using it to build a collage does that person need your permission i mean yes it's a photo of you but they don't know who you are they don't know your name it's just a a data it's a data point in order for them to build something else is that the same i I don't know if they necessarily need your permission for that what what do you think yeah it's just that's just in the way i look at it yeah, I think the, yeah, I'm on the fence about that because I understand like, yeah, if if it's like what we always say in, in the medical de-identified mm-hmm. um, and there's no way to trace it back. I mean, other than you don't know who's going to see it, right. they may know you. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, and yeah, it's, it's. Because in this case. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword on that. If know? I'm reading it right, there's no person who. I mean, someone probably could flip through all the photos, but no one's really doing that. What they're doing is they just like say, this is a photo and add it to the data set. This is a photo, add it to the data set. And then the computer runs its algorithm and says, okay, these are all distinct people or these are the same people based on my algorithms. So, I mean, what, what would they really be asking your permission for? You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like it's one thing if the, they say we're going to put this in a data a database so that the police can find people they're looking for. That's <laughs> yeah. That's a little bit different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens after? And then, this, yes. This. And then what happens after you're done and you've you've yeah. perfected your algorithm? What happens to those pictures? So I don't know, Koki. What do you have think? Access to these pictures. Yeah. Did we lose Koki? Where'd she go? I think so. Oh, let me see. Is she still on the call? Uh, don't see her. Oh. Okay, so I have some kind of feeling about your collage idea, mm-hmm. which is that one of the things that I've been running over, um, I would say in the last two or three years, there's this woker than woke um <laughs> It's not, I I don't even know where this came from. I don't believe it. It's something about the reason why um, slave, uh, why ushers wear white gloves is because when they were slaves and they took the collection, nobody wanted them to touch anything. Uh, First of all, I don't believe slaves were allowed to take up collections. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I mean, that's why we have the AME church because they kicked us out in Philadelphia. I don't, I don't believe any of this. This is one of these things that just keeps floating around. What hotel sites you've been perusing? (laughs) <laughs> no, this is just regular people that I grew up with who, who keep putting this on their Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And here's the reason why I bring it up is because the picture that they use from this is from my old church, St. Mm-hmm. Paul Baptist in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And I know the people who were in this picture. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure none of them know that they are in this picture floating around the Internet. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the first time I saw it, it was shortly after the death of one of the people who's in the picture. Mm. And it just twists my heart every time I see it. Mm-hmm. 
I, and I know for a fact that they didn't have anything to do with it. They just had a website for the church, and the senior ushers took a picture, and the senior ushers' picture was on this website, and it's been snatched and used everywhere. Mm. Now, I don't think anybody's making any money on it. Right. But, you know, do her children, are they happy to see that? There are now two people who are deceased in this picture. Mm. And, you know, I and I, the thing is, I know these people. I know their children. I know their grandchildren. And if it bothers me to see it, I can't imagine how it bothers them to see it. Mm. Well, I think that raises like some some separate issues in terms of like actually broadcasting someone else's image, you know, across the Internet. I think for sure I would agree. You definitely would need someone's permission. Like, for instance, like um, if you and I took a picture and we put it on like the MTR website and then it wound up on like a, a, a Google search for, for dummies or something like that. We'd be like, we'd be very offended and we would have every right to say, you need to take that down. But I mean, I think it's different if someone collected that picture in some broad sweep of the internet, just collecting faces. I'm, I'm not sure if I should have the ability to say, no, you can't do that. Or if I need the ability to say, no, you can't do that. Well, I think, again, it really has to do with what you expect to happen to it. True. Yes. Agreed. You know, if it's if it's used for a data set and no one sees it, that's one thing. Mm. If it's used for a data set and my face is similar enough to one of my cousins that they're able to find them and put them in jail, uh -huh. I'm not okay with that. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think we're on the same page. I think we'll, we have questions is where I think we all land on it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all have questions. We <laughs> how, have questions. Yeah. How, how is this being used, and who gets to keep it? And, and are you going to just give this to the cops? Like, what? Yeah. All yeah. those questions would need to be answered before they proceeded. You know, with this project, I think. But I think also the other aspect of it is this is going on regardless, and is being put into use regardless. Yeah. Police are using this technology. Do we want the technology to work better, or, you know, do we want to make sure they've dotted their you know, their I's and cross their T's. You know what I mean? Like the fewer people that participate, the less accurate it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, maybe that's a good thing. Right. You know? yeah, I'm thinking, like, maybe, but band together and come up with one solution and that's not participate. That's true. But <laughs> I, we, we've seen cops will proceed with information that's only 50% accurate just because, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how is this making it any better? Yeah. They're going to mm. do that anyway. Mm, yeah, I suppose. Uh, I I have questions. <laughs> I have questions. Yeah, I do, I do think that people do own their their image, but I I just think that if you do it, there is a way to do it. There is a way where you could separate enough of their personal information and make sure it doesn't cross over into their their personal lives or utilize their, you know, if you don't invade their privacy, so to speak. I think there's a way you can make this work, but. Yeah, I don't see how. Oh, yeah. you don't see how. <laughs> I feel like there's no way, there's no way to predict how anyone's gonna use it down the line anyway. That's true. Once it's a tool and it's completed, yeah. yeah. I have every intention to participate in this um, and to develop this technology with the, a, a specific, um, you know, thing in mind on how it's going to be used and everything. But there's always you can't predict how people that are going to use it are going to use it in the way that you intended. Mm, and God help us if an engineer gets a hold of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to get that dig in there. <laughs> Maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> okay, well, well, moving on to something that's more in both of your wheelhouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw this in, in the Baltimore Sun and it reminded me of many of the discussions that me and Koki have had before um, about STEM education. Uh, demanding new science tests was going to be Maryland graduation requirement, and now officials want to delay the rollout. So the rollout of a high school graduation requirement tied to a demanding new science test could be delayed for at least two more years following a preliminary vote of the Maryland State School Board on Tuesday. The board voted to change a regulation that would have made passing the next generation science assessment a requirement to obtain a diploma beginning in 2020. Uh, The new test, which replaces a decade-old biology test, was field-tested last school year. Um, The test was supposed to count as a graduation requirement for students who begin taking the test in January 2020. Uh, The new standards encompass physical sciences, life sciences, earth and space sciences, and engineering. (sighs) Initial thoughts. Initial thoughts. (laughs) I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) Uh, there's so many things on the, about this that that I'm kind of either divided on or I just it just goes against everything within me. Oh wow! Um, okay. I feel like, I mean, just on the basis of number one, having to take a test to graduate from high school, um, specifically for science. Yes, I believe there's a certain level of science that everybody should know. Mm-hmm. You know, that just, you know, just to survive in the world and you should have a certain level of science, uh, of science knowledge. Like knowing the world um, is round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, on a, yeah, on a, on a level, level field for everyone. Um, as far as, uh, for all areas, I think that, um, yeah, again, you should have some level of being able to, you know, add and subtract and do all these other things but Mm -hmm. testing to me sometimes feels like another divisive type of thing Mm, Um, because because education although it should be the same across the board there are so many systemic things that it is not Um, so when I was teaching the whole no child, no child left behind was the thing, um, you know, and regardless in my school or every other school in Maryland, um, regardless of what, you know, your educational background or how much, you know, you were your educate, how strong you were in education, you were supposed to take the same test and you were supposed to be have 100 percent of your children pass the exam Mm -hmm. unfortunately the school system especially the public school system every child is not the same this included children that were in special education and i mean like mentally developed uh delayed and so forth we're still expected to you're still expected to have 100 percent of your children pass this test now that's ridiculous exactly Mm -hmm. and so you know, on that level of just trying to like blanketly like, you know, test every child at some level to me, it it just it it just it irks me. But um, as far as you know, just like the science to to graduate, um, I think it just reminds me of that um, that 
you know, you're trying to make it level for everyone in a system that is not always level for everyone. Um, and it's all, and to me, again, it's always these testing and all this other stuff always comes back to a financial thing. Um, so I'm, it's, this whole situation is just disturbing to me sometimes. Um, hmm. What do you think, Koki? Well, I think they really do have to con- take into consideration who is taking the test. But I also think that it is a little bit problematic to me for you to say, for, for one to say that, um, well, you shouldn't have to pass these basic standards because you went to a bad, you know, elementary school. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and I don't think necessarily that money should be tied to it because obviously we know the, the better you do on test is typically associated with uh, the education of your mother and how much money is in your house. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really what it all boils down to. Right. Um, Certainly, I think, I mean, one of the reasons why we even have this podcast is because we think we need more science literacy. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you have to take a test um, to get out of high school, I don't have a problem with that. Right. Um, I think you have you should have to take, you know, an English test and a social studies test and a math test and all of that stuff. Um, but clearly, what people not passing the test is telling you that your delivery of content is not working very well. Right. So, and we already know that's the problem. So I, I, I had several ideas and as you both know, I don't have a science background, but several aspects about this story stuck out to me. So in the story, they say, I'm not even sure they don't really cite Uh, where they get the data from, but they said if the tests were required for graduation, large number of high school students would be expected to fail and undertake an alternative. So you're going to introduce a test with the knowledge that most of the students are going to fail. For why? What is the purpose of the test then? Mm -hmm. Clearly, you already have the information available that the students aren't achieving or learning what they need to be learning. So why don't we improve that? What is the introduction of the test? I think this is a policy thing. Okay. Okay, so they clearly are thinking that once we prove that we're not doing what we should be doing, mm-hmm. something will change. Mm-hmm. And depending on who's running the school system, that could be good or that could be bad. So what you can say is, all right, we've implemented this testing. And what we're finding is that we are not doing well teaching biology. We need so many million more dollars for biology instructors in the state of Maryland. Okay. Or on the other side of the coin, your your state um, uh, secretary of education could be Betsy DeVos. And she could say, well, these schools are not doing very well, so we're going to take your funding and put it in charter schools yep. or yep. put it in private school vouchers. Yep. Yes. And so I, I hear what I hear what you're saying. That makes perfect sense. I am for that, you know, having actual hard data to fall back on when making policy decisions. But then in the meantime, uh, the students who first take the tests, they are without a high school diploma mm-hmm. and unable um, to work or move on, even though they pass the class. But I'm, I, again, I, I guess I should include that. I'm assuming that 
um, if you pass the, te the class and you have like a B or a C and then you fail this test, you don't graduate. And I, I think that that kind of puts the students, you're putting the, the onus on the students to pass the test as opposed to putting the onus on the school to improve their pedagogical processes. Well, I, I think that's absolutely right. But I think that if, if I'm not mistaken, there's already, a it's not the biology test, but there's already an assessment test that students have to pass mm -hmm. to get out of high school in Maryland. Is that right, Jocelyn? Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's still in place. Yeah. So this is this is not actually it's not anything new. Right. They're just going from the biology test to a general sciences test. Well, no, they said they're expected it to be more difficult. So they they want to the latest version of tests that will they will be expected to pass are more difficult than the old Maryland state assessments given in four subjects: algebra, English, government, and biology. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm, so they're, I'm not, they're like, we want to make the, we want to make the test harder so that we can know that we're, you know, what, where we're failing. And then where they already know that a lot of students are going to fail it. Yeah. See, you're talking to the person in the department that all the students hated because I was tough. <laughs> so I, I'm not, Jocelyn can tell you it's true. Like I was tough and yeah. it's not because I hate students. It's that I want to push them harder. Right. Mm. Every single one of my students has done marvelously well since then. So obviously I wasn't wrong, mm -hmm. right. but, but the thing is, you know, I, I think we should be expecting more of our students. There's nothing wrong with them. They can study, they can learn, you know, certainly exceptions should be made for disabled students or whatever, you know, obviously if, part of the test was to take phys ed and you've got somebody who's in a wheelchair, I think you have to make some accommodations for those kind of students. Yeah. Or if they're developmentally disabled, they have no business, you know, making them take this particular test. Mm -hmm. um, but we make, we make um, exclusions for lots of people. I mean, most of us are out of high school by 18. If, if you're in special ed, you can stay till you're 21, right? Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, they need to be sensible tests. Of course. Yeah. Right. But I think, you know, it really depends on the reason why they want to do this. And I think, you know, depending on who's who's in charge of state education, this is a policy thing. Mm. I think also a lot of my reservations would probably just be erased if I had like some idea of what kind of questions they were going to be asking. Like, for, I know for an Algebra 1 test, if you were to give the same test to a high school senior now and some successful 40-year-old, <clears throat> you know, in the private sector, the high school student would probably do better just because it's fresher and they use it sure. every day right now. With science, I think there are some broader concepts that should stay with you forever. Things like the world is round and... Uh, co correlation does not equal causation it, those types of things if it's those types of questions then sure I think it should be a little bit harder and should involve some complicated reading like can you parse this you know um, abstract from this article and just see what they're talking about are you able to do that things like that I think are useful but as, as terms of like can you do you remember the equation for you know mass or can you calculate mass you know from from this equation that just seems like extended math I, yeah. I don't know. I, I would. Yeah, but it would depend. Like you're how right. the... we don't we don't know what the what the test looks like. My yeah. guess would be it's a whole lot of fill in the bubbles mm -hmm. because that's the way standardized yep. testing works yeah. these days. Yep. But um, yeah, without seeing it, I mean, you know, I took 
the biology GRE. Like, I know what the standardized testing looks like for sciences. Yeah. Um, and it isn't, you don't read an article and parse it, it's fill in the bubbles. Yeah. But even, I mean, yeah, it's like, at what level are you expecting, like, like you said? Like, are you expecting to fill in a blank about just a random standardized fact or are you giving are you trying to have these kids do some more in-depth complex critical thinking type of questions Mm -hmm. that may not be useful for every child you know or may uh, or to assess whether someone knows something Mm -hmm. um you know you know and i think about like like you said like some of the standardized like the gre and things like that like that's and it's extended knowledge type of thing, not just, you know, just basic, you know, knowing, you know, uh, H2O is the symbol for water, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, I just have to know if this test is that complex or are you just assessing, do they know basic facts? Like, here's an example. I think, like, I'm not a test maker, I'm not an educator, but for me, if I were trying to see, like, what I wanted kids to know when they graduate. I'd rather have a question that outlined a list of steps and said, did this person follow the scientific method versus what is the equation for the spring? What's the spring constant? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think both of those are probably harder than the exam is. But you know what? We really should shelve this because our favorite spades player is now teaching and has been teaching high school in Baltimore for at least 10 years. We need to field this to her. Mm, That would be good. Yeah, that would be good to get her to her feedback. We need to get her on here and and discuss this because she's still in the classroom and I'm sure she'll have plenty to, to say. So let's revisit this when we can get her back on the show. Yeah, and maybe they'll have some sample questions up i browsed the the website just uh, just a cursory glance and it's not that easy to kind of navigate but um but yeah so that would be something to look at like what does the test actually look like maybe we're this is all much ado about nothing yeah it could be yeah okay and then to tie it all up uh testing out our new uh segment once again science always wins hashtag science always wins always uh, Koki was. I saw you putting this on Twitter everywhere <laughs> from every account. <laughs> like, a, I think for three days straight. <laughs> because I'm thinking that it's bullshit. <laughs> and so I said, once more with feeling, one more time with big data from the New York Times measles vaccines, measles vaccine doesn't cause autism. A 10 year look at 600,000 children comes at a time when anti vaccine suspicion is on the rise again. So take that, anti vaxxers, in your face. Oh, if nothing else else makes me cringe. So I'm like, I am one of those Instagram, Facebook stalker type of people. I Mm -hmm. just scroll. Yeah, I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. post too often. Um, But the thing that will make me actually get in my feelings and actually post and respond and um, have a comment is someone that is uh, advocating for anti-vaccination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gotten me, actually, for the first time, a comment I made um, has gotten me uh, blocked by someone <laughs> for the first time. So now I know what that feels like. I didn't see, she's my student. Do you see? Do you see? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't what really did you tell care. them? Huh? What did you say to them? 
Um, Don't be an asshole. <laughs> I mean, I mean not so that's much. good advice. Actually, like, a, I was following, like, this, um, she was like a, uh, what is she? She's like a, um, like a motivational speaker. She's like a Christian uh, motivational speaker. Mm. And, oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. Mm. So she posted something about, you know, you need to know what your what your kids are getting, and you know they trying to get my me to vaccinate my child against this, and I just don't believe it. You know, mm. I have faith that this is the yada yada, and it's like I'm a Christian, but I also have faith in vaccines. Like, and I know based on my science, it does not block my scientific knowledge. And my, I think my comment was. Um, I was telling her that these state these type of statements is very dangerous and that, you know, leave the scientific part to people that actually do this for a living. I'm a black female microbiologist and I am very adamant about people knowing facts and the people that's in what never what gets me my blood boiling ever is when they put on the end, do your research. That little statement makes me makes my blood oh it just oh it makes me so yep. mad do your and googles I, <laughs> and I, I think that's what my comment was i said leave the research to people that do this for a living um with you know and i tried to explain that this is like you're in you're not even you're endangering your child and you're vaccinated like you really mm-hmm. not gonna vaccinate your child and endanger your child. You love your child so much that you're going to take this risk, this big of a risk. And that's the, I also, I, I just want to point out really quick, you're using research in two different ways, the two of you. Right. So you're talking right. about clinical research, like bench right. research, like really right. collecting data, analyzing Real it, testing research. hypotheses. Right. And they're talking right. about Google searches just right. to, just right. to put it on oh, the same, the, on the same level. Google searches are the death. So I had someone else, that was on my my Facebook feed that posted this is what in your vaccines this is why mm-hmm. we should not vaccine vaccinate and so forth and I promise you what she posted was it's the, the ingredients were glucose dextrose uh, eagles medium and I'm like lady <laughs> this oh my god it, it is not in the vaccine you're trying to make a vaccine <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I'm like and I told her, I said, this is so wrong. Like, just because you do not know how to pronounce these words or you don't know what they mean does not make it bad. But that's like, oh, gonna... that is something that has propagated the Internet recently. When people talk about health, they're like, don't put anything in your body that you can't yeah. pronounce. Right. I mean, that's like common knowledge now. That's like common wisdom. Don't put anything in your body that you don't understand or doesn't grow in a garden or doesn't occur naturally. They People have been told this and they think that they're being smart when they repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is a lot of people think they're smart. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I had a friend that actually asked, um, she put on, she had also put on Facebook, um, I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to vaccinate my uh, my child and is this safe? And I heard that this was in it and that was in it. And another one of my friends that's in science, he was like, um, you need to vaccinate your child. And I saw her, the my friend's mother and I was talking to her and I was like, yeah, she's talking about not vaccinating. And she's like, I don't understand why she would say something like that. I vaccinated her fat ass and she's fine. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I died laughing, but I was just like, yeah, what are you basing this information off of? Like you act like half the society, half of everyone is all of a sudden, 
you know, something's wrong with them when the vast majority of the population is vaccinated. What are you basing this information off of? You don't have firsthand knowledge of it. Well, You're I just feel going like, off of what someone else is propagating. We've talked about it a couple times, and uh, like I'm beginning to think that it's just like a confluence of several things at once. One, it's uh, a lot of this is you know new parents or younger parents who are just scared to death and just want to do everything right. So there's that strong, you know, force working on it. Then there's but also young parents are not new. Everybody is a new parent when they first have a bit like No, no, I'm saying not, not by itself. No, that no, that's not it by itself. That's one aspect of it. the other aspect of it is mistrust of institutions and expertise, which we've talked about multiple times. And then also Every just week. Yeah, and then <laughs> Right. And then also just like a general lack of science literacy. All three of those things make a perfect storm where you're going to have people who think that they're smart by not vaccinating their kid. Yeah, I just I don't have any more patience for this. The next time you need a vaccine rant, we'll call Jocelyn because she does it as well as I do. Oh, there's nothing. There's not too many things that get me riled up. But when I see those words, uh, Mm -hmm. it's just that that's it goes to another level yeah the only the only difference is i've been at this longer that's yeah. all yeah. <laughs> the only, like anybody who has a background in it just knows how ridiculous it is yep. right. and you know my my phd being in bordetella i i've had to deal with it since mm-hmm. like 1990 mm-hmm. i'm done i just i have no patience for this anymore yeah and i forgot i, I was i meant to go back and look but wasn't the initial study that claimed that autism did, that's that paper had to be retracted? Oh, de- was that decades ago? His, yeah. his license to practice medicine, and it was a study on like forty people, and what? it just it was the most utter nonsense you can come up with, and we cannot get it out of anybody's mind. No, I mean nobody pays attention to that fact. That fact never comes up. But I mean, it's like the game that they play in the newspaper now with this administration. They will blast from the rooftops wrong ass information. And then when it gets corrected or retracted a month later, it's on page 72. So it's a game that they play. But I I think Redfield is not on page 72. This is something that's been known for 20 years. Mm. And if you deal with these people, so the the. I guess the goalpost just keeps changing because first it was it's the vaccine, then it was the thimerosal in the vaccine, yeah. Yeah. and now you know there's no there hasn't been thimerosal in anything for like 25 years. So now it's something else. I can't remember what the new thing is. And now it's not just autism; it causes leaky gut and it causes what? this. What I like, heard no that. What it is, they just come up with something else. Yeah. Fear is yeah. a powerful drug. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so is aggressive ignorance. Right? Yes, it is too. That's yeah. really my problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, l- listen, they have an entire documentary on Netflix right now about flat earthers. So we're just in a different time. Just you, you just gotta you hey, just gotta what? roll with it. Wait a minute, um, wait, what? Yes, what? on on, Gosh, on Netflix. Over that one. I, on I, Netflix, cannot. there is a documentary where they delve into the the realm or the culture of flat earthers. Mm-mm. I put it in my but, queue. Well, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm going to watch that. Why? <laughs> but, and these are the ones that should have taken this biology test, I think. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait. 
there's enough flat earthers for it to be a movement. I right. thought it was yes. a stupid raptor guy. And, and yeah, you use no. <laughs> you use the right word. It is a movement. And like I said, it's this weird storm of lack of faith in institutions, lack of science literacy, and fear. It's just, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know how you break well, through it. Well, there's no fear in a flat earth. I mean, that's not fear. Right. Mm, but you're but, right. That's aggressive. Minute, that's aggressive ignorance, like you said. But wait, wait, wait. There's a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? I'm. I'm gonna watch it and report back on the show. So there's enough people that this is a movement. Yes, there is. The Earth is flat is a mo- is a movement. Just go into Reddit and put flat Earth. Let me know what you find. Like a whole ass movement. <laughs> I think it's in the thousands, Koki. I, I think it's in the thousands. I oh I no no. <laughs> I know I know. I can't. I just I I can't. And on I'm that too note, old folks. For this, shit. this is the Danny Glover doctrine. And on that note, folks, <laughs> we just exposed you to the Flat Earther Society. I think that is an actual thing. Let me Google that. I think it's a Flat Earther Society, I believe. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Let's see. Flat Earth Society. Yeah, there's a Flat Earth Wiki. Yes, the Flat Earth Society, tfes.org. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it looks looks nifty. <laughs> it's a nifty little website. Okay. They do know their HTML. I'll give it to them. <laughs> yep. I can't. Inside that's... denialism. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, no. So I'll let you guys peruse that. Um... No, that's okay. <laughs> wait, wait. But one thing I wanna I wanna bring up about this. Um article about the Mm anti-vaxxers the study was done in denmark remember i told you a lot of these studies are done where the people are homogeneous yeah Yeah. this is scandinavia this they do a lot of studies like this in scandinavia Mm -hmm. well you already know what the counterpoint is going to be then yeah study wasn't diverse enough (laughs) oh sweet jesus that's all for today folks (laughs) So, so jocelyn it's been great having you with us Oh, thank you for having how, me. How was your first experience? It was okay, right? It was okay. It was good. Okay. Well, what, I didn't sound like too much of a. <laughs> if people want to interact with you or, or if they want to see if you're lurking lurking about their, their page or not, where, where, where can they find you online? Um, yes, they can. Uh, but I don't even know my login. Typical. Oh, my goodness. I should have looked at it. What is it? Let me see. Because you know, is clearly my student. Mm-hmm. Clearly, <laughs> this is my student. What's my login? Do you guys need that on a T-shirt? What? Oh, I seen that T-shirt actually. What, mm-hmm. is... what is my login? Clearly, this is my student. Oh, oh on Instagram, I'm J Renee. Mm-hmm. J is in the letter J R E N E E underscore two seven eight. Okay. And on Facebook, I'm, yeah, it's my whole government name. No, that's okay. (laughs) You don't want people who don't know you on Facebook following you anyway. Exactly. Oh, especially now. Those anti-vaxxers might find me. I know. Facebook's a cesspool now. But yeah. But yeah, thanks so much for joining us. We enjoyed having you. And hopefully you can come back again. Oh, I definitely. Yay. 
<laughs> hey, Koki, you want to remind the people where to find you? Um, yeah, I'm still at Koki Talks Trash, although if I'm posting CDC updates, I'm usually at Koki Negra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am P-Funk, at P-Funkin' Around on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the show, Twitter, uh, You Know Molecules, at You Know Molecules, so that's at capital U, K-N-O-W, Molecules. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us again for another week. It's been a pleasure, and we will see you all next time.